Today is part three of our sermon series, Sacred Space. Our scripture lesson comes from the beginning of Jesus's ministry in the Gospel of Mark. Already, Jesus has become busy with the work of teaching and healing, and so Jesus tries to find time on the calendar for some rest and prayer. Listen for what happens in Mark chapter 1, beginning at verse 35. In the morning, while it was still very dark, Jesus got up and went out to a deserted place, and there he prayed. And Simon and his companions hunted for him. When they found him, they said to him, Everyone is searching for you. He answered, Let us go on to the neighboring towns, so that I may proclaim the message there also, for that is what I came out to do. May God bless this reading to our understanding. I do not know. I don't know why we hurry through this life. I don't know why we feel so much pressure to be productive, to accomplish our goals, to improve the metrics, to travel to all the places on our bucket list. I do not know why we shop on Amazon at 5 a.m. and return client emails at 11 p.m. I do not know why we try so hard to solve all the world's problems, gun violence, climate change, poverty, malnutrition, and find ourselves feeling inadequate to make the changes that we know are necessary for our world. I do not know why we enroll our kids in far too many extracurricular activities and then sit back and lament the loss of family dinner hour. I do not know why we literally do not have enough minutes in the day to slow down long enough to pray even for five minutes. I do not know why we eat McDonald's french fries instead of carrots and celery when we are stressed out and famished. We are clearly in a hurry. And I feel bad that I do not know because I just spent three months slowing down. On sabbatical, I stepped off the treadmill of weekly sermons and columns and staff meetings, and I was free to structure my own days however I wanted. I, of all people, should now know how we should slow down in a hurry-up world. I did notice after just a few weeks, when the deadlines from work vanished, that I still felt a sense of urgency to be productive. I had a stack of books on theology and spirituality I was determined to get through. I, I was focused on drafting sermon outlines for the next 12 months. I wanted to devour as much fiction and poetry as I possibly could, and I noticed in retrospect that I booked myself on 22 different airplane rides in three months. Sometimes the hurry up is internal to one's own mind and spirit, not external. Now, you may or may not be like me that way. This summer, my 13-year-old granddaughter, Ava, received a cell phone for her birthday. And shortly thereafter, we were at a family gathering, and I asked her little sister, where's Ava? And she rolled her eyes, and she said, well, 
She's back there in her room on her phone. And we have a name for this. We call them screenagers. But a recent article laments that it is actually the grandparents who need to cut back on constantly looking at their phones. According to the grandchildren, the grandparents are playing words with friends and checking the football scores instead of paying attention to their grandkids at the dinner table. What is it that is so urgent about our games that they distract us from what we love so much, our grandchildren? And for some folks, we know that hurrying is simply essential. I met a woman last spring who teaches school all day and then moonlights in the evening selling shoes so that she can save enough money, not just to pay her rent, but to maybe one day be able to buy her own home. And she's also working on her master's degree. Every minute in her day counts. And the same is true for working parents who are juggling homework and field trips and business trips and home repair projects, constantly feeling like life is fragmented and wherever they are, they should probably be somewhere else at the same time. And this summer while I was in Tanzania, I met many women who get up every day at 4 a.m. to feed their chick children a bowl of porridge or oatmeal that they cook over an open fire, and then they have to go out and feed the chickens and the goats before they themselves get on a bus, before the sun comes up, so that they can go to their paid work. And for the first four or five days that I was in Tanzania and East Africa, I would wake up to the sound of someone chopping wood, and I couldn't figure out who's chopping wood this early in the morning until I finally went out and saw seven- and eight-year-old boys chopping wood so that someone could make breakfast. Is it even possible to slow down in this hurry-up world? I have a confession to make. Remember last week, some of you do, that I told you I spent two weeks at a monastery in France where the guests were required to keep silent? Well, sometimes I talked. When I realized that there was another retreat guest who spoke English, and I would see them not in the sanctuary or even in the cloister, but out on the walking trails around the monastery, we would talk. I met a young couple from Monaco. They said, this is the first time since we had our three daughters that we've ever gone away. We just needed some time to slow down, to think, to pray, to be together as a couple. I met an engineer from Rome. He said, Rome is so fast paced. My job is so demanding. I just needed a place to be quiet and reflect. I met a retired woman from Paris, and even in retirement, she said, I just needed some time to be away, to ponder, to listen for, for God, to be connected to the Spirit. And in talking to these other guests at the monastery, I realized that this tug to slow down is not just an American phenomenon, it's a human phenomenon. It's so human that even Jesus knew this tug. Today's scripture lesson from the Gospel according to Mark tells us about one of the many times in Jesus' life when he pulled away from the crowds and went to a deserted place to spend time in solitude. 
Even Jesus, who was as close to God as any human being who has ever walked the planet, Ben, even he felt the need to pause, to pray, to converse with God, to pour out his heart to God, to seek God's strength and guidance, God's comfort and peace. Now, there are many different passages where Jesus steps away and goes to a quiet place, a deserted place, a wilderness, a seaside, a garden, to be by himself. But I chose this one for Mark particularly because I wanted us to pay attention to what happened here at the beginning of Jesus's ministry when he took a little break. It says that once he went to this quiet place, that his friends, his colleagues, Simon and his companions hunted Jesus down. They were not looking for Jesus. They were hunting for Jesus. That's a lot of pressure. The word in Greek has a great deal of urgency in it. It literally means they tracked him down. Not just one or two friends were seeking Jesus. They find him and they say, everyone is searching for you. Can't you just feel that urgency? Hurry up, Jesus. Don't you know there are lepers who need to be healed? There are children who need to be fed. There is a world that needs to be saved. How can you be off and quiet? In fact, Jesus knew that there were not enough hours in the day, and so the text tells us that he got up very early in the morning while it was still dark. It's what you and I would call the wee hours, those hours when the owls are still out and the traffic is not yet barreling down Ward Parkway. Jesus carved out time to sit in God's presence, to be alone, to savor the quiet, to slow down. And it's kind of odd if you stop and think about it. The gospel stories present Jesus as this human figure filled with divine power. Truly you are the Son of God, a bystander will say to him at the end of Mark's gospel as he makes his way to the cross. But the Bible also presents Jesus as a needy human one who feels the same pressure that you and I do. And so Jesus, in this passage and many others like it, seeks time to commune with God in prayer. Well, you don't even have to be a Christian to think that slowing down in this hurry-up world is a good idea. There is a multi-billion dollar industry of self-care products for those of us who feel inclined to escape burnout. You know, there's aromatherapy. There's spa treatments. There's cucumber water. I think coconut water works. There's yoga. There's books on how to take care of yourself. In fact, some have now lamented that there are so many things for us to do to practice self-care that it feels like one more thing to do. Timothy Egan wrote a book about his own quest. He took a journey, a pilgrimage, where he started in England at Canterbury, and then he made his way all the way to the Vatican in Rome. In his book, he explains why he took this walk. He said, malnutrition of the soul is a plague of modern life. One of my friends is on a, a pilgrimage right now, the one in Spain to Santiago, the one we call the Camino, that millions walk every year. It's a way to practice the art of listening. But what is it that we seek when we slow down? 
Is it just about slow? Or do we expect something to happen when we stop hurrying? One of my favorite authors is Sister Joan Chittister, who says that solitude is a spiritual vacation for the soul. And, and I felt that this summer. Though I am a people person and an extrovert, we all need a spiritual vacation for the soul. Sister Joan says that solitude rinses the soul of noise and clutter, and it frees the heart to sing. Who among us doesn't need that kind of rinsing off? Even the Pope thinks it's a good idea for us to slow down. When the Pope was asked what is the secret to happiness, he said, slow down, take time off, live and let live, work for peace, don't keep negative feelings bottled up, enjoy art, enjoy books, play. But we don't do it. I don't know why. Why is it that we know intellectually that slowing down is sometimes the very best choice we can make, but we just can't bring ourselves to do it? Perhaps slowing down is more than a time management issue. Perhaps it is a spiritual issue. In a recent book called Christ is Time, Professor Mark Edwards, who teaches at Princeton Seminary, suggests that how you and I spend our time is an expression of our faith. He reminds us that that old-fashioned word sin really means living apart from God. And so sin is more than a list of do's and don'ts and bad behavior. Sin is denying that we are connected to God, to the one who created us. God made each one of us in God's own image. Jesus reveals to us that God's image can come to life in real human flesh. Jesus shows us that each human being was created in the image and likeness of God. And so, Professor Edwards writes, this means that we are supposed to live not by our own abilities, powers, skills, and desires. Rather, we are meant to live by God's Spirit. And so when Jesus stepped away from the busy, pressure, hurry up pace and when jesus stepped into a quiet place what he was doing was leaning on that spirit reaching out for the creator our busyness our hurrying is a form of spiritual rebellion it's our way of saying we don't need you god Jesus practices a rhythm throughout his whole life, a rhythm of working and resting, being with people and withdrawing from people, action and contemplation. And when we read the part that we read today where Jesus withdrew and then they come and hunt him down, he leaves to go with them. And what he says, I think, is interesting. He says, let's go. Let's go to the neighboring villages so that I may teach for that is what I came out to do. Even Jesus needed to spend time with God so that Jesus would know what his own purpose in the world 
was, what he came to earth to do. For Jesus, it was not just about slowing down and chilling out. It was about knowing why he was on this earth. Where do we do that? How do we know why each of us have been placed on this earth? Where do you go to slow down and hear that? Is it in this room? Is it in a quiet corner in your own home? Is, is it in a park or on a little lane that you walk on near your house? Is it going away to a particular retreat site? Where do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt you are here on this earth for this? Frederick Beekner says, go. Go where your best prayers take you. And so to slow down is to trust God. This summer, Dave and I began the sabbatical season with a little bit of vacation in France. Dave had a decades-long dream of renting a little house in the French countryside and living like a local. And so that first week there, really in the first couple of days there, we met the neighbors just down the lane in this rural area. We met Tony and Yumna. They were a couple about our age and they invited us into their home. They gave us a tour of the vineyard that they had begun. They told us their life story. For three hours we sat with them and they told us about growing up in Lebanon and having their first children and fleeing Lebanon because of the war and the bombs and then taking early retirement and starting this little vineyard. They were the neighbors and so we ran into them at the grocery store and at the butcher shop and we decided we would invite them over one night to share an appetizer and, and some drinks. And now when Dave and I look back on that vacation chapter, what we savor the most is that night in the backyard when Tony and Yumna sat with us, sharing a few snacks, opening a bottle of wine that had come from their vineyard. Oh, we definitely enjoyed the busy days. You know, those days where we toured castles and explored unique villages and shopped at the farmer's markets and rode bikes and climbed the sand dune at the ocean, but the moment when time seemed to stand still, and we knew that we were in the presence of something holy, was the night when we did nothing. We slowed down, and we sat in the backyard as the sun set and the mosquitoes came out, and we visited with the neighbors. These moments, moments of holy grace, of mystery, of wonder, of simplicity, of presence, they empower us. They allow us to trust in God. I do not know why we don't savor these moments more often.